Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You might be hearing this today and think, I, I'm, I'm older. What influence do I have over my kids anymore? My kids won't listen to me. You have a connection that is unlike any other. You have a unique place in your child's life and heart, and you have a spiritual connection as a mom. You were given that child, and you were given the responsibility by God to raise that child, and that connection doesn't go away. We pass a lot of traits and habits onto our children, whether or not we realize it. They see how we react to things, to people, and hopefully they see our faith in God woven through it all. Today on Practical Christian Living, we look at how our faith affects those around us as we continue our journey through Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 23 today. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you. Lord, we really are blessed to be able to gather together here today. We, we love your word and we love you. We know that we gain as we gather here. We know that you work in our hearts. We thank you that you are the God of all comfort and we turn to you once again to be our comfort and pray that you would even use this as a time to do a work within our hearts. We thank you for your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly from it today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. The title of our message today is Faith to the Next Generation. We could even call this Faith to the Next Generations. I don't know if when you were born again, if you had any thought to your children and how they would be affected if you began to live for God. But you realize that your faith affects your children. In fact, the Bible says the faith that is in Timothy was first in his grandmother and then in his mother. I think Lois and then Eunice. First in one and then the other and then passed on to Timothy. When I was born again at 14 years old, I had no thought of how my decision to follow Christ would affect my children. And I got to tell you, I had no thought about how it would affect my grandchildren. But just a few days ago, my granddaughter's dancing around, singing to a worship song as she's dancing. And I realized that my faith has not only affected me, it's affected my kids and it's affected my grandkids. Now, some of you guys, your kids might not be walking with the Lord. Maybe you raised them in the things of the Lord and they're not walking with them today. And to you, I just say, be patient. It says, raise your children in the ways of the Lord and when they're old, they won't depart. Doesn't say nothing about the crazy in between, all right? So your child might be in that, ah, kind of that crazy in between. Just trust God. You raise them in the ways of the Lord, just trust him. And, I, and God bless you. Just trust him and they will, or was that an amen? I don't know. I just... Uh, and they will come to that spot. I believe it. And I believe that our faith makes a difference. And that's what we find in our text today. We find a father blessing his sons and we find a grandfather blessing his grandsons and we find a man generations later speak of the work that God's gonna do 400 years from his life. Now, if the Lord tarries, who knows how God will use your faith? I don't know, again, if you've ever thought of that, I don't think that I've ever really thought of that. How will my faith affect, if Jesus doesn't return for us soon, how will my faith affect generations from me, my family? Maybe God will raise up somebody who will do incredibly powerful things from you or, or from my family. Who knows? We don't know what God has planned, but I know this. The Bible says, I have a future for you, a future and a hope. 
God's got a future for you. He's got a future and a hope for you, and not only for you, but for your family as well. And I believe that faith is better caught than taught. We can talk about our faith, but, but when the kids, our kids see us living for Jesus, they are then affected by it. A recent study showed that the children of committed Christians are far more likely to be committed than the children of nominal Christians. Now, the study was a broad study, and it kind of connected a lot of different faiths that are out there, okay? But it did make the statement that a strong Christian's child is more likely to be a strong Christian than in a nominal Christian home. Boy, that says something to us, doesn't it? And we can understand why, can't we? Our kids watch us, and they see whether or not we're really serious about our faith. And if you're not serious, if you're playing games, if you have been screaming at your kids or other drivers on your way to church... And as soon as you turn into the parking lot, you get that Jesus smile then, hey, God bless you. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. When you weren't doing that halfway to church, all right? Your kids see those kind of things. And I think if we live our lives in front of them, that they will be radically changed. But what I find in the text that we have today is parents that are able to pass their faith on to their children. And as I said, I think it's incredibly powerful for us to really comprehend and understand that our faith is not just for us, that we don't live in a vacuum, that the decisions that we make affect the people around us. And the more serious we are about following Jesus, the more that affects our family in a positive way. And it starts off, first of all, with a couple of guys, a father and a son. It says in verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on his staff. When we first learn about the faith of Isaac as he blesses his sons when they're old, the first thing that I think we ought to note about this is that your days to influence your children are never done. Jacob was dying and Esau was old, bedridden, and blind, and they blessed their kids. To be sure, there's a great influence in the lives of your children when they're young, and take advantage of that. If your kids are that four and five years old, they just want to be around mom and they want to be around dad. Read them the Bible, tell them Bible stories. I told my kids a lot of Bible stories when they were young. I would act them out in front of them, add in things that weren't true, so they would go, Dad, that's not what happened. It's got to be really bizarre things, by the way, like Samson got in a spaceship. It's got to be things like that. Although I realize there are some people, ancient aliens and all, who believe that that's really what happened. My kids knew that that wasn't what happened. But pour into them now. They're influential. You might be hearing this today and think, I, I'm, I'm older. What influence do I have over my kids anymore? My kids won't listen to me. You have a connection that is unlike any other. You have a unique place in your child's life and heart, and you have a spiritual connection as a mom. You were given that child, and you were given the responsibility by God to raise that child, and that connection doesn't go away. And when they're old, they bless their children. The second thing that I note about these two, both Isaac and Jacob, Isaac blessing his children and Jacob blessing his grandchildren, is that these guys were not the best parents out there. In fact, I think, really, in reality, they were pretty pathetic. Now, I'm really glad that I don't live in the biblical days when my account of parenting might have been written out because I don't want people to you know, scrutinize my parenting. However, both Isaac and Jacob made a major mistake in raising their children. It's one that our culture realizes today. 
And it's one that if you're making that mistake, I hope you can correct it before it causes problems. And that is favoritism. Both Isaac and Jacob had favorite sons. Let's start with Isaac. Isaac was born to Abraham and Isaac's, and Abraham's servant went out and found a wife for Isaac. It was an arranged marriage and they had two sons. When Rebecca was pregnant with them, there was a problem and they were fighting in the womb and she went to God and she asked God, what's going on? Do you remember that? And God said, well, there are two nations in your womb. Now, ladies, I don't know if you'd want to hear that when you're pregnant, but there were two nations in your womb. And then she said, the younger will serve, excuse me, the older will serve the younger. So God had given her a word that the younger was going to be the dominant or the firstborn really is what ended up happening. He would end up getting the blessings and the right of the firstborn. This was God's plan. So when they're born, the first child is born and he's red and hairy. In fact, he's such a hairy baby that they named him Harry. That's what Esau means is, is hairy. And so he's, he's red and he's hairy. He looked like a little Sasquatch when he was born. <laughs> but holding on to his foot was his brother. They weren't identical twins. And holding on to his foot was his brother, Jacob. And they named Jacob heel catcher, which is what Jacob means. And later on became to mean surplanter or manipulator. That's who Jacob was. Jacob throughout his life struggled with manipulating, trying to manipulate to get what he wanted. He manipulated God when God already gave him things. I used to have a dog, a, uh, a yellow lab named Wyatt, the most high-strung, spastic dog you've ever seen in your life. I would go to give him a biscuit. I'm giving it to him. And he would go to grab it, like trying to bite your fingers because he thought, I got to have that. I'd say to him, I'm already giving it to you. That was Jacob. God was giving him things and Jacob was like, give them to me, give them to me, I want them. And he manipulated those things. Now these sons couldn't have been any different. One was hairy and one was smooth, okay? But one was mindful of spiritual things and the other one was mindful of fleshly things. One stayed at home, cooked with his mom. He was a lover, not a fighter, all right? He went and met his wife, Rachel, at a well. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But it says that when he saw her, he kissed her and he cried. I don't know what the crying's all about when he kisses her, all right? Maybe it was bad breath, maybe some of the... Okay, I don't know exactly what it was all about when he kissed her and cried, but here's what happened. Rachel immediately fell in love with him. She kissed him and cried, and maybe it's a girl thing. Maybe all girls go, oh, that's so sweet that he kissed her and cried. And this guy's like, I don't get it. I don't, know. I don't understand it at all. On the other hand, though, Esau was like a man's man. He was a hunter. In fact, when his dad blesses him, he says, Esau, my son, you smell like a field. Now, that could either be a good or a bad thing, right? You're outside, you smell the fresh air, it smells like flowers maybe in the air, but somehow I don't think that's what Esau smelled like, okay? I think that when he told Esau, you smell like a field, it was one of those unpleasant days out in the field. As you walk through, you go, huh, it doesn't smell so good. Years ago, trying to give the differences between these two, I said, if I were going to do a movie on Esau and Jacob, these are the actors that I would choose for them. It's been about 20 years, all right? So maybe I can think of some new ones and you guys can throw me some ideas as time goes by. Not right now, but these are my guys, all right? Again, it's been 20 years since I did this. So my first one was for Esau and I would choose for him Tom Selleck. Either him or Sam Elliott. Are they, they're the same guy anyway, aren't they? Kind of like vice versa. They're a lot alike each other and those are the guys, that's the guy that I would choose for Esau. Man's man, hairy guy, right? Big, strong, man's man. For the other guy, you guys remember who I chose for this? Leonardo DiCaprio, but not, 
not the new Leonardo DiCaprio, all right? Because he's kind of looking rough these days, right? He put on some weight. I'm talking about the baby-faced little guy, all right, that was in the movies when he was younger, all right? That's my 20 years ago, all right? That's kind of the, the two that I picture. And so it doesn't surprise us that Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca favored Jacob. We see the differences and we get it, but it caused problems. It caused such problems that they went at war against each other. And it was decades later before these two brothers worked things out. They finally did. And when Jacob was returning, Jacob still thought Esau was going to kill him, but he actually received him. And when Esau showed up and he said, I'll come home with me, Jacob said, oh yeah, okay, I'll be there in a couple days. You go on ahead. And he went the other direction. So he never really got to the place of working things out, but there were problems their entire life. And when Isaac blessed them, he went through all of those things to try to manipulate things to take the blessing he knew was supposed to be Jacob's and give it to Esau, but God did his work anyway. Now, having said that, that they weren't great parents, still, by faith, he blessed his kids, even though he made mistakes. Now, I can say to you today, I don't know. I'm sure there's good parents here, right? I'm sure some of you guys are, are the best mom. You got your best mom in the world mug and card and you deserve it. But there's some of you guys that haven't been so good of parents. Maybe you have regrets and you feel like I could have been better. And you think, I, I can't really bless my kids. Maybe your kids don't respect you because of your lacks in parenting. But I believe you can bless them today. Even if you've made some major mistake, we understand today not to play favoritism, but maybe there's been major mistakes, but you can still bless your kids because of that connection that I talked about. Now, Jacob, he goes... Jacob's family is really routed. He ends up playing favoritism as well. He's brought up in a family where favoritism is played and he ends up playing favoritism. You would think that he would learn not to, but he does. And here's how it happened. First of all, Jacob's life is one tragic event after another, after another, after another. Jacob's life is an interesting life to study. He became a polygamist, not because he wanted to. In fact, if Jacob's life were around today, he would be a reality TV show. Polygamy or us, maybe. Only he wouldn't say, I'm a polygamist and here's why, because I like it. He wouldn't say that, right? That's what these shows that are on today do. And isn't it illegal to be a polygamist? How can you have the TV? I, I don't understand. But anyway, nevertheless, that's what he, but he would say, I never planned it. Remember that when he kissed her and cried, that he went to her dad, Laban, and said, I want to marry her, but I don't have any money, couldn't pay a dowry. And so he said, but I'll work for her for seven years. And here's what the Bible says about those seven years, ladies. It says that his love for her was so strong that he worked for her for seven years, but it seemed like just a few days to him. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I knew somebody would not, but I knew it would be a girl's voice when that happened and not a guy's. We don't go, oh, isn't that sweet? We don't do that, all right? We go, gag me, all right? Okay, so. But on the day that he chose to marry her, her dad Laban took him. Rachel's ugly older sister and put her in her place. She's got a veil on. They get married that night. They go into the tent. It's dark. They consummate the marriage. He wakes up in the morning and it's cow eyes next to him. That's her name, Leah Cow Eyes. Now, I had somebody argue with me a few years ago. Cow's eyes are beautiful. Cows might not be really pretty, but Leah had pretty eyes because cow's eyes are beautiful. A few weeks later, I was out hunting. And I, a couple cows were out there, so I shot them. No, I didn't shoot them. Your rancher, I didn't do that, all right? I did not do that. But I thought I'll look at these cows' eyes. They really didn't do anything for me, okay? So I'm not really buying it, all right? Now, that's awful for everybody involved, isn't it? That's just a horrible story, isn't it? You could imagine being Leah. You're married off by, by trickery. 
You can imagine being Jacob. <laughs> you wake up and it's the ugly older sister. And you can imagine being Rachel, maybe the most tragic of all, that you're at home that night when you're supposed to be married to your husband and he's married and having sex with your sister. How awful that was for everybody involved. Laban, really, what a creep to do something like this. And when Jacob woke up and found Leah with him, he went and said, why have you done this to me? And he said, well, we have a custom in our culture that the younger sister is not married before the older. That falls under the category of, you should have told me this earlier. I would have worked hard to get her married off kind of thing. And then he says, but fulfill her week and I'll give you Rachel and work for me for another seven years. So overall, he worked 14 years for Rachel, but he got to be married to her after a week. But God was, God intervened in this family. You can imagine the stress in this home, a loved wife and an unloved wife, right? And God looked upon Leah with favor because she was not loved and gave her a child. Isn't that neat how God moved in this family? I don't know, it was our emotions towards this couple that are in love and get married, but then have the sister there. And now it's a polygamous family and it's weird. But God looks at their hearts and he sees the, the, the broken heart of this woman that's unloved and God gives her a child and then another child and then another child. The whole time, Rachel's not having any kids. And so Rachel gets her handmaiden, Bilhah, and gives her to, to Jacob. Says, take her as a wife and have kids for me. So now he has three. And then when Leah stopped having kids, she said, take my handmaiden. It's like, it's, it's like this competition going on. Take my handmaiden and have kids by her. So Jacob ends up with four wives, two concubines, two wives, and 12 kids eventually. And it wasn't until the 11th son, the 11th son that Rachel finally has a child. This woman that he kissed at the well and cried finally has a child, 11 sons into it. And so he takes that son and we kind of understand why he plays favoritism, don't we? It's the son of the woman that he loves. The rest of them are there. It's all odd. It's all weird. It's all strange. Now, Jacob could have said no, right, to the, first, to the next couple ones, but he didn't. And here they are. And now he's got his, his Joseph, his favorite son, and he makes him a coat of many colors or a coat with long sleeves. What he was saying was, you're my firstborn son. All these other sons that have come before me, they aren't my firstborn. You're my firstborn and everything's going to you and you're in charge. It created such problems that his brothers one day, when he went out to find them, they took him and sold him into slavery. They were gonna kill him, but they sold him into slavery. And they brought the coat of many colors back to their father, Jacob. And they said, is this your son's coat? We found it in a field covered in blood. And he took the coat and he wept and he cried, thinking that his son had died. How tragic. Now, a few years later, there was a famine in the land and God had taken Joseph in Egypt and raised him from prison all the way to being governor in Egypt. And when they showed up because there was food in Egypt and no food in Canaan, the 10 brothers showed up and they didn't know that Joseph was the governor. They stood before him. He was dressed like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian. They didn't know it was him, but he recognized them. And it was, it was a, it's, it's a great story. In fact, it's a powerful story. He kind of puts the screws to him for a few months, right? And then when they finally return again, he begins to weep in front of them. And they don't know why. They just think the governor's going crazy. He's crying in front of us. And finally he says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. I'm the one you sold into slavery and I forgive you. What a great story of forgiveness. What a powerful story. Then they went home and got their father and they brought their father back to him. And the Bible says that Jacob and Joseph embraced and cried on each other's neck for a good long time. They just held one another and they wept and they cried. And then Joseph showed his dad his two sons. 
While he was in Egypt, he married an Egyptian woman and they had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's why when the list of the 12 tribes of Israel are given, you don't find the tribe of Joseph. You never find it. You find instead the tribe, half tribe of Ephraim and the half tribe of Manasseh. They are added in. And usually Dan gets left out for reasons we won't talk about today because it's not pertinent to the story. But uh, now we come to verse 22. That was the longest introduction to any verse I've ever given. In verse 22, it says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, excuse me, back to verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on his staff. When Joseph brought his sons to his father, their grandfather, to bless him, he brought the older boy to his right hand and his younger son to his left hand. So the older boy would receive the blessings of the firstborn. But when Jacob saw them coming, he knew that God wanted to reverse it, like God had reversed it for him and his older brother. And so he crossed his hands. And Joseph thought he was having a senior moment. Joseph was like, dad, dad, I put the right, I put this son on that. This is the right. And he goes, no, I know what I'm doing. And he crossed his hands and he prayed. And by faith, he blessed them. And when you follow them, you find that the honor indeed does come to the older boy. And so his blessings made a difference, not only in the lives of the children in the case of Isaac, but also in the life of Joseph as he by faith blesses his grandchildren. Again, from generation to generation. Now we come to Joseph. And Joseph not only blesses his children and grandchildren, but 400 years later, Look at what it says in verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning their bones. He didn't know that they were going to leave Egypt, but he spoke of their departure. What was the departure that, that Joseph spoke of? When Moses was the deliverer and led them out with a strong hand. So God gave him a special revelation of his word and he shared that with them. Now listen, today... I'm not saying that we don't have special revelations from God, like Joseph got. Joseph got a special revelation that God was going to have them depart, and he said, bring my bones with me. And when they did leave under Moses, they took the bones of Joseph with them. God may speak to you today outside of the parameters of the word of God. First of all, the main way in which God is going to speak to you and I is in the parameters of this book. This has been kept from generation to generation, Psalms tells us. It is alive and it is active. It, it goes out to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. And when we give it to our children, we make a difference in their lives. And when we live it, we live the example of living that in front of our children. But when God gives you a special revelation, it's always going to be in the confines of what we find here. Not anything different. If next week I come here to church and I tell you guys, listen, I was praying and God gave me a new message for you. You guys know it's not true, right? Because it's new. And anything that's new is not true. However, in the days of Joseph, he couldn't pick up his Bible and read it. And so God gave him a special revelation about what was going to take place. And by faith, he spoke the word to them. It was the revelation of the word to him, but by faith, he spoke it. And so I encourage you that you would pour the word of God into them. First of all, by living it. First of all, by saying, whatever God says, I wanna do that. Do you believe that God's plan, purpose, hope, future for you is better than the one that you have chosen for you? Do you believe that God knows what he's doing? And that if you will follow what it says in the Bible about how you're supposed to live, that God will be able to do with you what he's going to do? And do you believe that the bigger picture is in store? I'm talking about future generations now, your children to come. Then we have a greater reason to live what we find in the pages of scripture than just our own personal lives. 
but what God may do through our children. Isn't it incredible, parents, that we are able to bless our children in greater ways than just in the physical realm? That we can give them the greater blessing of living by God and passing that on from generation to generation? We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.